Welcome to the Facts versus Feelings podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sonu Varghese. Cutting through the noise in 30 minutes each week, taking out the boring and helping investors focus on what really matters. A quick note before we start the show, investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Carson Partners, a division of CWM LLC, is a nationwide partnership of advisors. We are back. Episode 23 of Carson's Facts versus Feelings with Ryan and Sonu. Sonu, I have a little rant this morning, if that's okay. All right. Can Go I take it. the mic for a second here, everybody? So I've got a little surgery on Friday. I've got a bunch of doctor appointments. I go to my doctor today 10 minutes early. I filled out everything on the website, on the app. I get there. They say, you were late. I'm like, no. What do you mean I'm late? They said you had to be here 25 minutes early to fill out this one piece of paper. They literally wouldn't see me. I'm like, I got a surgery. This is like a pre-op, you know, meeting that has got to be done. What do they call pre-op physical? Long story short, I didn't make too big a scene, but oh boy, I wanted to. Um, I'm going to go to a different doctor later this afternoon. You got to be kidding me. I, the medical field, crazy the, man. The the wonders of the American healthcare system. That's all I'll say. I won't say anything more. <laughs> <laughs> I was, oh boy, I wanted to just blow up the whole plate. Not, you know, you know, I'm out yeah. yell at everybody. Yes. And I was like, you know, I can't do that. I, I have you. to have this surgery Friday. Like, we got it. I can't screw this up. So, anyway, I'm, so I'm a little flustered this morning, but it is what it is. How you doing, Sonu? Good. You're not the only person that's hot. Looks like the economy is hot, too, if you listen to some people. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice play there. I was going to use that segue as well. We're going to get right into it now. We are, I'm, I'm hot and the economy's hot. Um, we're, we're calling this one, guys, not too hot, not too cold, still not right. Kind of a fun take. We're going to spend most of the time in the beginning talking again about a lot of the economic data that we've been seeing. It's coming really strong. What does that mean? Sonu's got some interesting takes on it. We're going to dive into that. We're, of course, going to take a look at March and April right around the corner. We had the February hangover. We talked about that a little bit. February can be weak, especially second half of the year. Good news, March and April are pretty strong seasonally, and we're going to talk about why we see you know, likely some strength in equities. Then we're going to finish things up with Warren Buffett's annual letter. It's always amazing. I've got a couple takes. Sonu's got a couple takes, and you always learn something from the Oracle of Omaha. So, Sonu, I'll set the stage for you. I, I wrote all these down. This is wild, man, and I'm going to turn it to you. Since Groundhog Day, which I want to – first off, did everything happen when the Groundhog saw his shadow? Is that really why the economy got hot, Sonu? Can, can we blame him or, or- – Maybe he just saw what happened in January. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even a warm anyway, January. So, yeah, since Groundhog Day is wild, you can't make it up. It's kind of like I said last year, the yield curve inverted on April Fool's Day. You can't make that up. This one, you can't make it up on Groundhog Day. 517,000 jobs versus 190,000. Since Groundhog Day, we've seen CPI come in at 6.4% versus 6.2%. PPI, 0.7 versus 0.4. Core PCE inflation, 4.7% versus 4.4%. Pending home sales, 8.2% versus 1%. Noticing a theme here, aren't you? New home sales, 670,000 versus 620,000. Lastly, retail sales up 3% versus up 2%. There's more, but those are the headline ones that I scribbled down to myself the last three weeks. Sonu, why in the world has things gotten so, has the economy gotten so hot since Groundhog Day? Hot, hot, hot. I mean, you know, to quote Bruno Mars and Mark Ronson, like make a dragon want to retire here. But, you know. 
<laughs> I don't know if it was uh, the Uptown Funk reference for all of you who were into that song a few years back. That's a good. That's a good song. I told you. I said he was one. He was my favorite halftime at the Super Bowl. We talked about that's that two played, weeks yeah. ago. I still say that. That was. It, I love the Chili Peppers though. So you bring out a little Uptown <laughs> Funk and Chili Peppers. That was hot, hot, hot. But all right. So let, let's get the task, man. Uh, why? What's happening? What's going on out there? Look, we had hot data in January, and part of it was seasonality, right? So this is data measured by the government and. We actually had soft data in December. Remember, Ryan, everyone was talking right. about recession in 2023 and all of that. Now that switched. Everyone, so many people, I shouldn't say everyone, and we'll get to what we thought throughout, right? Uh, most people have switched. They've been like, you know, oh, the economy is too hot. And too soft was too bad because obviously recessions are not good. Too hard is not good either because everyone's like, oh, the Fed has to tighten even more, Right. So you just swung the pendulum from one side to another. A big reason is, like I said, December was soft. And I think that gets to the way the government applies seasonality to their measurements, Mm -hmm. right? The same thing happens. You know, we've seen that for three years running. Retail sales, take retail sales, right? Retail sales are, again, another hot number that came in a couple of weeks ago, right? The January retail sales was up 3% or something massive like that. Well, December retail sales are really soft, and that's when everyone is getting really pessimistic. And then January rebounded. We've seen that for three years running now, right? So it's like the same story. It's like, come on, people, get let's get some perspective. And you and I do this all the time. You look at moving mm-hmm. averages for a reason. You don't want to take one day's yep. uh, you know, up or down and just run with it. Same thing with economic data. You don't take one month and just run with it. Take the last three months, right? And uh, I think that's last three months is you know, a good period. And you take consumption, largest part of the economy. Consumption's running about 2% over the last three months. That's 2% annualized, right? And so that's pretty much on trend, right? The economy would probably grow around, you know, 2%. That's literally trend growth that we saw over the last decade. It's not too hot, not too cold. So, so great points there, Sonu. So here's the question then, if, if we were kind of hot-ish in January, you know, I've heard it's be, there's some seasonal tweaks. Maybe you just talked about some of those, but also the better weather. No, very, one of the warmest Januarys on record. So not 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 the question yet. But is is that weather playing into it? And then what does it mean? Are we do we? You know, how do I want to take this? You know, steal forward, if you will, some strength from February. So do you think some of the data is going to come back in February and March? And was weather really the reason things were so strong in January? Now, one thing with weather, I do want to point out, like weather effects are real, right? Because we had warm yep. weather, people went out to restaurants more. That's real revenue. That's real profits. All of that, right? It's not seasonal adjustments, just to make it clear, mm-hmm. right? Seasonal adjustments, what the government, you know, the folks measuring the stuff make after they get the actual data. But, you know, better weather means more people actually just take auto sales, right? We had, what, 15.7 million auto sales in January. That's like an annualized pace, right? That was, you know, that was a big jump from where we were in December and November and October, right? And that was very positive. That's one reason retail sales are as high as it did when it came in. That's probably going to fall back a little bit, probably going to fall back to about 14, 14 and a half million or so. I I mean, which is, you know, not great, but it's still like, again, look at the average, right? You take the average and you get to around 15 million. And that's, that's better than what we saw over the last few months of 2022. But you know, I, I think to get to what you were saying, there is a bit of that steel f- 
from the future kind of impact here, right? It's like, oh, I have warm weather in January, so maybe I go out and buy a car right now or warm weather in February. I know somebody who bought a car recently. <laughs> we'll keep that aside. But, uh, but yeah, no, more people spent because it's been nice outside. And, uh, you know, I, I think yeah. that's boosted the numbers. Yeah, I love looking at, you know, kind of third-party data, right? We, I mean, believe me, we look, all look at government data, but just OpenTable. They've got a lot of public data. Right. They saw a huge surge. OpenTable, of course, is the app that you can use to make reservations at restaurants. Huge surge last month. I saw the CEO of Caesars Entertainment, so casino company, um, not a recommendation at all, but just his quote here. I'm no economist, but I can tell you is what we see in our business is continued strength, right? And you think about every time you fly and you go out to restaurants, things are just packed, right? And it's um, it's that that theme that we've had. And again, you know, things maybe were a little bit better in January, but maybe a takeaway. And I do want to dive in just for a minute, though, Sono, on the data last week that really was kind of the big news. That was the core PCE or PCE. That's the Fed's favorite measure of inflation. That's at least what the media tell us. And I think, you know, maybe, maybe it still is. But that did come in hot, right? Core came mm-hmm. in hot. The headline came in hot, similar to the PC. Um, what was it? PPI a while back, similar to the CPI a while back. You've had time to look at the Fed's favorite measure of inflation, core PCE. What do you think it is telling us? So PCE is a personal consumption expenditures index. Yep. And that that... Basically, instead of using like an inflation basket that's updated once in two years, actually, now it's going to be updated once a year. It updates almost continuously, month after month, depending on what people spend on. If you spend more on restaurants, the next month, obviously, restaurants are weighted slightly more, right? I mean, you don't see massive changes. I don't mean to suggest that there are huge changes from month to month. But you get, you know, it's it's more of an immediate representation of what consumers are actually buying and things like that, right? So that's why the Fed likes the PCE. And it's, uh, you know, so that's the PC price index, right? Now, core excludes food and energy, right? We've talked about that before because those tend to be volatile. Now, inflation was running at, you know, if if you just take, let's say, CPI numbers, but PCE was just maybe 1% or 2% below that. It's running about 9% in June. It decelerated all the way to about, what, 6% or, you know, uh, PCE is at 55 right, in as of December, January came out at almost exactly the same number, 5.4% year over year, right? And core rose 0.6%. Over the past three months, core inflation has been running at about 4.7%. That's an annualized pace. That's too high, right? Let's talk about why. Two big pieces. One, you and I have talked about this so many times. Shelter is a big part of that, Mm -hmm. right? Housing. And when you talk housing, we're not talking about home prices. Home prices and mortgage rates are not in the inflation index. Right. Either yeah, CPI I think I saw Kay, Kay yeah. Schiller just came out. I think it's six yeah. months in a row now. Home prices, prices have dropped according to Kay Schiller, which yes. just came out this morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, you know, so the inflation baskets don't take that into account. Right. Because, you know, the home price, like we don't sort of monetize that May month after month. It's instead what the BLS does, what the government does, they assume we pay ourselves a rent. I know you and I own homes. They assume that you and I mm-hmm. pay ourselves rent. Right. Now, how do they get those rents? They look at market rents, right? Now, the way they look at market rents, there's a huge lag between what happens actually in the market and how the data is reported, right? So there's like six to eight month lag. We're seeing market rents fall, like Ryan Wood, it's fallen over several months now, I think, right? If you just look oh, at apartment three or, four, three or four in a row. Yeah, if you look yeah. at apartment lists, Zillow's had similar historic drops. Now, <laughs> it's historic on the upside, let's be very yeah. clear, but yes. historic yes. on the way down too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, so... 
CPI, PCE, you have to reflect that, right? So PCE has a smaller weight to housing, so which is part of the reason yep. also I think Fed prefers that amongst a yeah. few other things. But then there's another big slice which makes up more than 50% of the basket, which, you know, suddenly the Fed's talking about, they've been talking about the last couple of months, especially Powell in his press conference, which is core services excluding shelter, right? Yeah. Now, they tie that to wage growth, right? Think of these things as, you know, airfares, restaurants, you know, laundry, dry cleaning, childcare services, stuff like personal care, haircuts, things like that, right? The idea is, you know, if I'm earning more, I'm going to go and spend that more of that on those kind of services, right? I'm going to take a better mm-hmm. vacation, stuff like that. And so wage growth is closely tied to this core services, excluding housing. And that's running hot as well, right? That's running about 5%, you know, over the past three months, just slightly above 5%. We yet to see a real slowdown there, which you've seen in headline inflation because energy prices have come down. But I think it's just a matter of time. Like you and I have talked about the employment cost index and average hourly earnings. There's been good evidence that wage growth is decelerating and that should feed into this core services X housing number as well. All right. So I'm going to jump in. I know that was a lot stuff there. (laughs) No, there's a lot there. I think it's an important concept because again, the fed is looking at this closely. You talk about hot. I don't know if you heard or not. My 140 (laughs) pound dog, Walter, barked a little bit. we've got somebody must have came because he ran up the stairs i text my wife middle it's like you gotta you gotta get walter he's barking on the podcast so walter <laughs> barked he's saying hi um anyway hello to him too so yeah there you go so so let's get to the um the, the core i'm trying by the way walter he gets groomed the bar it's really expensive to groom 140 pound great pyrenees so i think i'm helping some of this inflation services stuff by the way <laughs> walter um that, you think about i mean included yes, the, in the number two by the way core services x housing has pet yeah. care and all of that yeah. in there so well we're, we're we're doing it we have to oh he sheds terribly anyway uh so core pce services x energy that's another one the fed watches closely up 0.58 percent last month the highest since november 21 i think the bottom line the notes yeah. i wrote to myself services is sticky right we're not seeing yeah. services come back as much yet we've talked about it like a broken record though a lot of these things specifically some of the used car prices and some of the uh, and, uh, rents and uh, housing and all that stuff it's coming down it just hasn't worked its way yet to the government's data but it is what it is when the market saw that number um it got a little dicey but we're going to talk about next why the second half of february can be a little dicey so we probably need to wrap this first part up anything else you want to talk about on the not too hot not too cold but still not um oh what do we call it uh not too hot not too cold i should know what we just called our podcast but still not right still not right Yes, I was searching for that. No, the only thing I would mention goes back to weather and all of that. It's one thing to have warm weather, but you still like, I'm, you know, we had summer or there's a warm weather in 2008, but you didn't have people going and spending. Why? Because they didn't, it was a recession, right? I mean, even 2009, June was like summer is bad. So it's not like you can have warm weather, but you need people to go out and spend. And they went out and spent. Why? Because incomes are high, right? Social security increase. A lot of people got tax cuts. A lot of state you know, had, yeah, imposed tax cuts on in January. So that was a boost. And wage growth, right? Wage growth is still strong. If you think it's decelerating, but you had rising employment. People are working more hours, which means they had more income, more money in their pockets. They went out and spent. I think that's, you know, you get to why is services inflation still hard? Well, that's because people are, consuming services a lot more mm-hmm. why are they consuming yeah. a lot more because incomes are higher i think that's the story yeah 
Uh, great point. You pointed out many times that real incomes have been increasing as inflation's pulling back lower as mm-hmm. well. And that's a big driver for the consumer. So, so let's move forward. Um, you know, we, we've talked before about the idea that the Jan- not the wrong January, wrong month, the February hangover, historically the best three months of the year for the S&P. November, December, January. Yes, this December wasn't very good, but, you know, the rally off the October lows, November, December were pretty solid. Um, And then you have the hangover, uh, which tends to be in February. I jokingly said I still remember the worst hangover I ever had. I was 40, had maybe one too many tequilas with some friends. My wife pointed out I'm old enough to make my own decisions. I blamed them. But let's just say it took me a few days to recover from that 40th birthday, and I haven't touched tequila since. I probably never will. Speaking so, of a pull forward, you pull forward yeah. a decade of tequila. <laughs> Yeah, oh my just goodness. joking uh, there. More than enough. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. It was, it was it was a good amount. It seemed it seemed good at the time. You know, that's how it works, right? Always. Anyway, um, but, but hangovers take some time. You know, you got you can eat, you can work out, you can sleep, but you just sometimes need to just take some time, and they're going to go away. That's kind of like what happened. The second half of February historically is weak. We've seen ballpark, you know, four or five percent correction on the S and P um, since the middle of February. Really, since Valentine's Day. Honestly, we peaked on uh, Valentine's Day right around then. Um, into early March could be a little weak. But Sonu, here's the good news: March and April historically are two really strong months. In a pre-election year, they get even better. March is up about 2% on average. April up about 3.5% on average for the S&P in a uh, pre-election year like we are. Also, a really interesting stat I saw um, on Twitter that high yield has actually been significantly outperforming the market, the market as in the S&P, over the past week. So high yield's been strengthening. We saw high yield really weak, um, you know, Mm over the past couple of weeks, and that was a warning sign maybe. But now high yield is strong. Why does that kind of matter? I think it does. I think it's a little clue. I, I put it this way. I'd rather see high yield strengthening than not if you're remotely bullish. Why does that matter? Uh, yeah, no, I think that's such a good metric from for several reasons, right? When you talk about high yield, what are we talking about? We're talking about companies who are not, you know, A-plus literally or AAA or AA on the credit, you know, spectrum, mm-hmm. right, with respect to credit. Uh, mostly because, you know, uh, borrowers don't think, you know, are suspicious of them, right? Let's just put it that way. Yep. All right. And they think, you know what? I don't know if you can pay me back, you know, what the money I'm loaning to you, right? The money you want to borrow from me. So I'm going to charge you a high interest rate to cover my risk. So instead of, I may mm-hmm. charge Apple 4.5% or 5%. I'm charging the federal government 4%. I'm going to charge Apple 5%. There's a little bit of premium there, Right. But I'm going to charge you X, Y, Z high yield, you know, high yield company. Let's call it that nine percent. Now nine percent is actually attractive. Now the thing is, when do these kind of companies, you know, let's say default, right? They default if the economy is bad. If the economy is doing bad. sure. So if high yield, you know, is starting to do well, that means you know what? Instead of charging you nine percent, I'm going to charge you eight percent. That's what we mean when we say, oh, high yield is holding up. High yield is doing well, right? because mm-hmm. I trust these companies a little more to pay it back, right? And so yep. that doing well is a good sign with respect to the company's ability to pay back what they borrowed. And that's a reflection of economic stability too. So that's, I, I think that's, that's a good sign from so many angles there. Uh, absolutely. Thanks to Frank Capillary. He's my buddy who uh, pointed that out uh, on Twitter. I thought that was a great, um, great point, the high yield last week. Even though the stock market sold off ballpark 3%, I yield actually outperformed. So that was uh, yeah. maybe some good sign. Also, uh, Scott Brown, a guy I used to work with, Scott does awesome work. Scott Brown noted 
We've been above the 200-day moving average for over a month now, Sonu. Okay, so I think it's like 25, 26 days above the 200-day moving average. If you look back in history, at least back to like the 1950s, when you have a bear market and then you're above the 200-day for a month or more, which officially we are, because in, in our world, a month is 21 days. That's yes. trading days. So, so we've been above the 200-day for over a month now in the S&P after we're in a bear market. Scott took a look. In history, stocks have never gone on to make new lows. They've never rolled over. Wow. Now, full disclosure. Last summer, we corrected more than 50% of the bear market. I noted at that time, market had never rolled over to make new lows, and you correct at least 50% of a bear market. It happened with the October lows, but then we rallied since. Nonetheless, I'd still say we can hang out above the 200-day like we are, like Scott's data shared and the data I confirmed that I looked at it myself. Um, that's usually a pretty good sign. Well, what's your take on that? I think, you know, that's sort of, I'm, I'm trying to think of a term for it. Duration of strength. Is that is that a good word, mm-hmm. phrase for it? Duration of strength. I think you That's should, always you should, positive. Uh, <laughs> right. We should um, trademark that. You know, I, I think so. I've never heard anyone say it, but I kind of <laughs> like that. Yeah. I was just thinking, like, yeah, duration of strength. That, that's always a good thing. The longer it is, the better. Yeah. The longer something looks strong, the more likely it is to be strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And applies yeah. to markets or any of us, really. <laughs> No, well said. I mean, I've done some studies on this, and I'm going by memory here, so these might not be exact numbers. But you look in history, some of the greatest one-day rallies ever, like 14 of the 15 greatest one-day rallies ever, took place beneath the 200-day moving average, right. the, ma- the big majority of the worst days ever. So volatility happens. There's an old saying. I don't really know who said it, or I'd give him credit. Bad things happen under the 200-day moving average. I love that. We are still above the 200-day right now in the S&P. If we break it, believe me, maybe get a little more neutral, a little little Mm -hmm. more, slightly more cautious. We're hanging out there with some bullish seasonal timeframes. Just some things to remember. Last comment, um, you know, I'm noticing a lot of uh, bears are starting to chirp a little bit more. You look at sentiment polls, we're starting to see a lot more bears. It took a 5% correction, and all of a sudden, everybody's bearish. Everybody was bullish two weeks ago. I'm not going to say who it was, but I saw someone (laughs) on CNBC in the middle of February, a well-known bear. And she was talking about how markets rally in early in bull markets. I mean, she sounded bullish. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is probably a contrarian signal. Well, sure enough, the markets have pulled back since then. We see a bear turn into a bull on TV live in front of your eyes. Um, by the way, you're going to see Cocaine Bear. Are you going to see that movie, Cocaine Bear? No, it made a ton of money. Wow. I think it looks amazing. Wow. What do you think? You gonna, you I don't do know. You, it's you, stupid. You're the, what, what do you call it? Gerard Butler type of, you know. Yeah, I'm not quite yeah. there. You know, I like the superhero movies and all that, but I I, I'm watching Jack Ryan right now. So, you know, <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, who's to say Cocaine Bear is not a hero? I saw him jump in that, <laughs> in that van in the previews, but anyway, we'll leave it. We'll leave it at that. But that maybe we do make a, that movie made a lot of money. So people are going out to the movies. Speaking anyway, of bears, so, it's interesting. Like, yeah. you know, we had bears when the economic story is like, oh, God, recession. And we had bears mm-hmm. when the economic story. Oh, it's too hot. Right. Like, come on. Right. Like, yeah, you know, get a grip. Right, everyone. Uh, that's, that's a great point. I mean, at least they're consistent. I guess we'll give them credit there. So, all right, the final conversation, we're going to move forward. We got a few minutes. The final conversation, Warren Buffett's annual letter came out, and it's awesome. We're going to dive into that. But first things first, I will admit, or I will, uh, another little quick story. I did buy a car last Friday. Oh, I joined the club. Weather is nice. I said, I need a new car. I, <laughs> I had a Volvo. If some of you listen to my past life and a past podcast, you know what I'm getting at. I hated that Volvo the second I bought it. I had so much trouble with that thing. No I offense take to Volvo anymore. owners. No yeah, offense to Volvo. No recommendations. None of this. None of that. Just personally, 
I didn't like the car. I had some issues with it. So um, got a Dodge Durango five or six days in. I love Sweet. it. I will say last night I was driving my son back from uh, basketball. Heard this huge thud. It, like We were driving, man. We're going 35 miles an hour on a street here. And a, a big thud. And I was like, oh, my Uh-oh. God, what's hit my car? It's like my son's back door. We turn around and look. I was like, let's look first. I didn't see like a bird or like, heaven forbid, like a dog or something. Then we get home. I didn't notice anything. I said, it would be something if I got a car for four days and I have a, have a claim already. But the car is awesome. I love my Dodge Durango. So goodbye, Volvo. And uh, I'm one of the people that Hello, have, Dodge. Uh, used the good weather to go get a new car. I should have done it years ago, to be honest, looking back. But that's all right. So new. The um, annual Warren Buffett letter came out. It was amazing, always. as always. I've got some thoughts. I know you had some thoughts on dividends and kind of, you know, how he uses them, how he doesn't. That was fascinating. What else did you find from that letter that was eye-opening and worth sharing with our listeners? I mean, what's interesting is the first page in the letter, or maybe after the contents and things like that, is literally he just lists all the returns. You know, yep. from 1965 <laughs> to 2022, he doesn't hide it or anything like that. It's right in yeah. front. It's the first thing before he says even hello. Right. It's right well, in front. Pete, Pete Rose, sorry, real fast. Pete Rose says it ain't lying if you're telling the truth. Right. So yeah, <laughs> right I think thing. Pete Rose said that before. Yeah. So do you think like the conviction that he's had to stick to, it's not easy being Buffett. It's not easy doing what he did. He'd say, you know, like one dollar. Here's here's here it is, right? One dollar invested in 1965 at Berkshire would have become thirty-eight thousand dollars. Thirty-eight thousand. That's like mind blowing. I I mean the yeah. compounded annual rate of growth is nineteen point eight, nineteen point nine percent. That doesn't sound too high, but when you say a dollar made it to thirty-eight thousand dollars, wow, right? But here's the thing, right? During those things, remember, sometimes you see those covers like, oh, is Buffett done? Buffett's over, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, three, like I, I was looking 97 to 99, the S&P 500 rose 108%. Buffett was up 64%. I bet everyone okay. would be, that's why you saw the Barron's covers. You saw the thing like, yep. oh, that's the end of Buffett. 2018, 1920, the S&P was up 49%, right? Buffett was up 17%. I bet mm. it, it would have been so easy. And maybe I would have done it too. I don't know. But it's, it's thrown in the towel. The guy, old man's done. Boom, he comes mm-hmm. back, right? For the last two years, S&P's up 5%. He's up 35%. I mean, wow. talk about long-term consistency there. Want to know more about the impact the 2024 election may have on the markets and the economy? We'll be covering everything advisors and their clients need to know in the lead-up to Election Day including what to expect from the markets, news out of Washington, and what historically happens after elections. You can find all of our 2024 election content at carsongroup.com slash election. That is, that's amazing. So I'll jump in. I know you got some thoughts on dividends in a second, but I'll start the conversation with dividends. So what I thought was really cool, he pointed out the fact that he bought $1.3 billion worth of Coke in 94, $1.3 billion worth of American Express in 95. He kind of accumulated up to that point. But those were the totals. A very, very large buys for him, obviously, at that time. Just last year, so new, all right, the dividends from those two, were over a billion wow. dollars combined. And Incredible. he said all Charlie and him had to do was cash the checks, right? And his eye opened because now they're both like 5% of his portfolio, made a ton of money. Don't know the exact numbers, but made a ton of money on both, but just the dividends that are coming in. And what I love, he pointed out, he said, you know, I've made a ton of mistakes. A lot of investments did not work. A lot of things weren't mm-hmm. great. But if investors need to remember, you pick some solid companies, you give them time, and over time, a couple 
good ideas, whether it be luck or not, you know, can really make up for a lot of sins. And he, you know, he talks about that. The other thing that I love that he pointed out um, was that Charlie Munger did a podcast. I love Charlie. You talk about yeah. a guy who doesn't care anymore. He says whatever he wants to say. I'd love to get him on here and just there have, him, have him say whatever he wants to say. But anyway, he said, you know, the secret is finding out where you're going to die and just never going there. Wow. That's, that's <laughs> I thought, brilliant. I thought that was funny. Warren that's pointed brilliant. that out again. But, you know, the idea of, intri- of um, you know, dividends and stock buybacks, that was a big discussion in the media. You've got a few thoughts on that. Maybe it's about the last thing we're going to talk about that we're going to have to sign off. But talk to me about your take on what um, Uncle Warren had to say about those two things. Yeah, look, uh, I, I, I think I'm in the same camp as, you know, like, which is not to put myself on any sort of pedestal that's close to Buffett. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we aspire yeah. to these things. But look, for hey, him, we ate at the same, you know what? We ate at the same McDonald's as him last go. month. If you remember you in our podcast, we look for Warren. So we yes. are sort of that's, on the same, we're yes. the same, we're not the same pedestal. We're the same drive through. Let's <laughs> yes. leave it at that. We're there the same drive through Warren Buffett when it comes to McDonald's. Yeah. Well put. <laughs> so yeah, he talked about dividends and buybacks. And so in his, you know, in his view, look, that's a way companies return money to shareholders, right? If you're returning mm-hmm. dividends, you know, that's a little more explicit. If you're buying back shares, there's less shares available to the public, which means the shares you own are worth more, right? It's just a, another yep. way of returning money to shareholders. Now, he did the nuance was that he talked about companies should doing buybacks or that they should do buybacks when their stocks are undervalued. Like, hello, that's, yeah. that's literally what he does, right? He said, it's not like mm-hmm. all buybacks are great. It's like, look for the smart CFOs, right? I mean, the ones who buy back shares when, they're undervalued. And, and you think, you know, if anyone should know whether a business is under or overvalued, it should be the company CFOs, right? So, sure. You know, yeah. but the another part of his brilliance is, you know, yes, he's done well with investing. And, you know, the great part is he admits his mistakes as well. He, he said that. And but the whole thing about dividends versus buybacks, you talk about Coca-Cola and American Express giving back dividends. Berkshire doesn't pay out a dividend, by the way. So it's almost like. Let's stop that one more time. Let's stop that. Let's stop that. Let's point this out because I was shocked when you said that. As much as he bragged about making a billion dollars last year on dividends, his company doesn't pay a dividend. Is that what you just said? Yep. They don't pay a dividend. And there's a brilliant reason why he just Mm -hmm. lets the money compound because he always talks about compounding. That's how $1 became $38,000 after what, 58 years, right? The thing is, if you pay out dividends, you have to pay taxes on those dividends year after year after year, right? And if that if you did that, and I didn't even assume like, goodness, I, I was, when I look back at history, the historical dividend tax rates, the highest rate is like 90%, right? Those like ridiculously wow. high. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to take 90% right. away from the dividends when I'm trying to do this calculation. I was going to assume 50%, right? Yeah. Right now it's about 23.8%. That's the highest top rate, like if you pay tax on dividends. But remember, you know, when you pay those taxes out, that money is not available to compound over, you know, the next 30 years. So that $1, instead of becoming $38,000, that $1, if you pay taxes on dividends, if you paid out a dividend of like 3% year after year after year, that's going to become $21,000. Still great, but you see the difference there. It's a massive difference. That's why he doesn't pay dividends. I mean, you know, we could talk on this all day. It's just fat. He's just amazing, right? I mean, he's just the Oracle of Omaha for a reason. 
I mean, do you know of any other big? He's kind of he's a conglomerate, but I kind of think of his company kind of like a financial in in a way. I know they do other things, but. Do you know of any other companies that don't pay dividends like that? Like, they all pay dividends. Does anyone else do that off the top of your head? I, I can't think of one. No, if you're a blue chip company, you pay a dividend. You pay a dividend. what it is. I mean, maybe only Amazon yeah. doesn't pay a dividend. I mean, amongst, like, the yeah, big, huge ones. But, that. you know, but right. they have other reasons for not doing that, right? So Sure. You know, it's, it's hmm. but anyway, Buffett's no. doing it because he's smart about taxes and compounding. Right. 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 It's like Berkshire is like an ETF almost. It's a collection of companies. Right. And he would say a sure. collection of companies, not stocks. That, mm. That's a difference. That's there. a good point. Yeah. That's uh, paraphrasing. So, you know, Charlie and I, we, we, we buy companies. We don't buy stocks. Or right. no, we're company pickers, not stock pickers. Right. I, think, I think I got that close enough. That's kind of what he said. But we've kind of hit the end of the road. This was a lot of fun. Hopefully everyone enjoyed the 23rd episode of Carson's Facts versus Feelings with Brian and Sonu. Again, I do have a surgery coming this Friday. So Good luck. I think I'll be on the podcast next Tuesday. And if I are, who knows? Maybe I'll be on some meds and I'll just say anything. I'll turn into Charlie Munger next Tuesday. You, you might have to rein me in or we'll, <laughs> Joey will have to uh, edit if I say something I shouldn't say. But we'll, we'll, we'll either Sony will be here or I'll be here next week. But, we'll see uh, what happens. But we're going to keep doing it. Good luck for that. And, um, rooting for you, buddy. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, I mean, I got to get my pre-op first. I got to go run around now and do a pre-op because the first place said I was late, even though I was 10 minutes early. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll leave. For some reason, everyone, I don't think you're again. done with all the forms yeah. yet, but. I don't know what's going on anymore. I've got a box right in front of me, literally with medicine. I've got to take like seven medicines tomorrow, eight more the next day. And they spell it all out for you. It's kind of idiot proof, which I need. Believe me, it tells me when to do it and what to do. Um, But there's a lot of medicine I got to take to get ready for this surgery. So anyway, I'll I'll be good, but we'll see. But um, yeah, so we'll be back next week with the next Carson's Facts versus Feelings. Everyone, we appreciate it. This podcast continues to grow. And definitely listen to last week with Ed uh, Clissold from Ned Davis Research. If you didn't get to listen to it, it was amazing. Ed's awesome. We're big fans of Ned Davis Research, obviously. Um, And with all that, we'll see everybody next week. Have a great one. Take care. Information provided on Facts versus Feelings with some of our geese and Ryan Dietrich are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. The statements and opinions of show guests may not be reflective of CWM LLC or its affiliates. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested in directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Facts versus Feelings are not affiliated with CWM LLC.